Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. As I've mentioned in my past podcast, I really do read and appreciate messages and DMs from listeners. And I make decisions about topics and guests for the show based on your feedback and comments. And as I've also mentioned before, one of the motivations I had for starting this podcast was to bring a mix of guests who could bring both the personal and professional perspectives. I really do feel that there's nothing quite so impactful as hearing someone else's personal story and being able to relate to something that they said. And my hope is that by hearing what they say, Maybe it'll help motivate you to seek treatment, stay in treatment, feel less alone, or, you know, really instill hope that you too can achieve recovery, which is why I am so very excited for today's show. Not that I'm not excited for every show because I am, but today came about in quite a unique way that I was really not expecting. So it was about a month ago when I was going through my DMs and I came across a message from someone who said they were a longtime listener who had achieved recovery. And we messaged a bit back and forth, and now she's here to share her inspiring story. Uh, Lauren is 33, and she was born and raised in New Jersey. And after a lifetime of struggling with an eating disorder, going through numerous treatments and many relapses, she can now say she's fully recovered. And she hopes to lead by example and show others that they too can reach full recovery no matter how long or how much they've struggled. I'm really excited to bring her on. Well, Lauren, welcome to the show. Excited to have you here as a listener and now a guest. So um, always excited uh, when someone reaches out and we DM and now here you are on the podcast. So just curious, like what made you reach out and, and DM me and want to share your story? Yeah. Um, first of all, very happy to be on the other side of a podcast, not just the listener. Um, basically, I have recently gone to a place where I feel fully in recovery. And your podcast was one of the ones that really emphasized that you could fully recover. I think for a long time, I had like believed I was always going to be slightly disordered. Um that the eating disorder was never going to go away. And I DM'd you because I was just like recently just feeling like the weight of the eating disorder is gone. And I did not think that was possible. (laughs) Well, and I'm so glad to hear that because, you know, that is something I reiterate, like maybe I think sometimes too much on the podcast, like gosh, people are going to think of hearing that, but um. I think people do need to hear that. And I don't think it can be said enough. Um, And I'm wondering before you did get to this place, how much did you hold on to that? Like, oh, you know, I'm never going to fully get into recovery. Um, 
I honestly think I held on to it up until late in the last couple months. Um, I think I just had heard from so many people like you're you're always gonna have that pro like the voice the eating disorder voice is always gonna be there and that's what I've noticed the biggest change in is that I don't have the eating disorder voice I'm able to you know live my life and I don't feel that constant nagging voice telling me like I have to follow all these because I was I had every rule <laughs> and it's just so nice to not have that anymore. Well, that's, I mean, it's, it's such a relief. And I know that personally, like how that feels. Um, and I know we're kind of starting at the end of your uh, yeah. journey with Ed or your eating disorder. So I guess kind of going back for listeners kind of going, well, okay, so you're there, but like, yeah, right. Your mind's like kind of, uh, if it's oh, okay, totally. like sharing your story and like, how did this all start for you? Like, when did your eating disorder start? Or when did you even realize you had one? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Because I know I've listened to a lot of people share their recovery. And I would hear them say like what I just said, and be like, yeah, good for you. <laughs> when When's it going to be my turn? Um, but for me, I don't have any memory without an eating disorder. Um, the story my family always refers back to is I was five years old. My grandma had, she was taking us to McDonald's for lunch and she got me a happy meal. And I guess she wasn't that hungry. So she also got a happy meal and I'm five years old, very upset because I don't want this cashier at McDonald's thinking I'm going to eat two happy meals. And you know, I threw, I threw a fit and I had my grandma tell this lady like, oh, one's for her sister at home because I was just so concerned with like what this stranger thought of my eating habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of had from there, it just really just got worse over, over the years. Um, in my family, uh, my dad is in a larger body uh, and even people in the family were very critical of his weight. Um, it was made pretty clear that they wanted him to lose weight. Um, there were always comments at the dinner table. Um, just it, it made me uncomfortable at a young age being like, well, I, I don't want to, you know, receive that type of criticism either. Uh, we would go out in public and people are cruel. <laughs> you know, they, they, you know, stare, make faces. And I just took it very personal, even though it was directed at my dad. Like I love my dad and his weight never bothered me. It was people's reaction to his weight. And I think that really just, you know, fueled into, I was already an anxious kid, sensitive. I had like all the traits for, um, you know, fueling an eating disorder. Um, my oldest sister also had an eating disorder. So it was just an environment where, you know, eating disorders were could possibly happen. Um, and then it wasn't until high school when I started like engaging in behaviors like binging. Um, I 
severely abused exercise. Um, then I didn't first enter therapy until I was 17. Um, and then from there, the binging just kind of took over. Um, and with the binging, I almost became agoraphobic that I wouldn't want to leave the house because I was convinced everyone knew I was a binge eater and could see it. And um, I've always been in a, like, you know, a straight size body, but I was convinced that like, cause I'm binge eating, you know, people are gonna uh, stare at me or, and then when you go so long without leaving the house, it's just like, then you become afraid of leaving the house. So for a while I didn't leave the house like months at a time. And that gives you a lot of time to just focus on your eating disorder. <laughs> um, Do you mind if yeah. I ask, like, when you went into therapy, was that for an eating disorder or was that for other things? Like, because I, you know, often hear, and even for myself, like, I didn't even realize I had an eating disorder. I just thought I was a bad diet or I wasn't doing things with food right. So I'm wondering for you, did, did that even cross your mind or was it for something else that you went into therapy for? I... I think I always knew I had an eating disorder. My sister's about nine years older than me and it was talked about hers and I knew I was doing similar things. Um, so when I went to therapy the first time, it was actually because I was on the track team and the coach uh, recommended if I wanted to stay on the team, I needed to go to be a therapist. Did you know why at the time? Like, yeah, I, I knew they were concerned. Okay. So was it in hindsight, you realized you were over-exercising and, and why you were doing that? Or was it more of like, oh, I'm just being active and I'm being quote unquote healthy? There were, I think like my sophomore year of high school, I've always been an athlete. I did gymnastics for like the first 10 years of my life um, and then moved on to uh, cross country and track mainly because gymnastics, I'm not a, I don't fit the body type for that. I'm quite a bit tall mm -hmm. and um, definitely was always labeled the big girl in gymnastics, which even though it wasn't because just because of my height, but when you're that age, you hear big and you're like, Oh, <laughs> that's not great. Um, but on, for a track, I was very competitive with it my sophomore year, and I thought I was just training to, like, you know, do well in races, but, you know, when you're training before school, at practice, and then after practice, you're doing too much, and I think I excused it um, for a while, so, yeah. <laughs> That's really, really typical, so is that, was that self-imposed, like, the extra running and training? Oh yeah, yeah. My uh, my coach definitely would not have encouraged that. I he didn't even know about the the extra workouts. Okay, so you know, also you brought up like you had these uh, traits in yourself. So hearing the competitiveness, um, yeah, like, and I'm wondering if in your in your path to recovery, did you realize like the competitiveness was all part of this as well? Um. Definitely. And I think even more than that was the anxiety. Um, I think I've always had 
anxiety. Um, as a young kid, I always complained about stomach aches to the point like my parents would take me to medical doctors to have my, like they thought something was wrong. Um, we went to multiple doctors for it and there was never anything medically wrong with my stomach, uh, but I just always compa complained about stomach aches. And I know now like this was, that was in like the 1990s. And I don't think they really like were quick to connect that like stomach pain could be anxiety. So it, so it sounds like there was all this host of things going on with like growing up in the household you did, messages, being out. And um, did you, were there any like things about food in the house, like food rules or anything you remember that kind of played into any of this as well? Um, well, I'm the youngest of four girls. And we always, we always had like, there weren't like bad food, like, you know, off limit foods in the house. Um, but then it would be like, oh, but dad can't have this. So stuff like that. And then when I did start binge eating, my mom, I love her. And I know she did this from a good place with like hide food. Uh, she didn't, you know, want me to binge or if she knew, like I went downstairs to, you know, she knew I was probably going to, cause it would be late at night. And then she would like all of a sudden have to come downstairs. And it was just, it was like, there was some shame about food, but I know she was just like, you know, who wants their daughter to be binge eating? So. So did, how did she know you were binge eating? Was it something that she um, you shared with her or I had shared with her and, you know, I think it was also obvious sometimes, you know, when certain, she would buy something like say she brought a cake mix and another thing with like, I did feel a lot of shame immediately about binging. So like, instead of baking the cake, cause that would create a smell in the house. I would just eat, you know, the batter. And then she'd be like, where'd that cake mix? go that I was going to use and it was, it was embarrassing like yeah you know that's really common though um you know it, it's the the hiding of the food or the eating of the food and I'm wondering did you ever engage in other behaviors like that like hiding in your room or eating it outside oh. of the house or your car yeah no I all the above <laughs> I definitely did a lot of you know secret eating um because for years, I didn't even really eat meals. It was either I was binging or I wasn't eating. So, and I did that all in private. I would, um, you know, I, with eating, I've done all the things that people are normally embarrassed about, you know, like you start a binge and then you throw it in the trash, but then you're back, you know, you go back to the trash can or then you start like putting soap on the food so you won't go back and eat it and just all stuff like that. Or I would be in the grocery store feeling like I'm in there to like rob the place, but really, you know, like just feeling like I'm doing something to that extent. That's so bad. Um, and just feeling like everyone in there knows that I just didn't want to go to the store anymore. So, so you shared with your mom, like kind of going back to that, like, okay, I'm doing this behavior, then she's hiding the food. So um, 
it sounds like you had this awareness. She's trying to help you not engage in the behavior. Um, but what was the result of that? Um, yeah, at the time I was, I did not have that reaction. I was very upset. Um, I think we did have quite a few arguments over it. Um, yeah, it eventually led to me going away to treatment for the first time when I was 20. I went to like a, a residential uh, treatment center just because I really, I felt like I could not stop engaging in the behaviors. So was it, because I know you shared, just if we can go back so people kind of get a, a sense of this. So it sounds like you went to therapy at 17, the coach kind of encouraged you and then um, you got to this point where you were wanting to be like agoraphobic and stay home. Like, yeah, at 17, did therapy help you at all with any of the eating? I, I do not think I was open at all to therapy. Um, I just wanted to stay on the track team. So my motivation for, you know, going to therapy was not to like, I, I wanted to get better than because I knew I didn't like the binging because it just made me feel awful. But I just did not have the motivation in therapy. And so you did that. And then at what point after that did you start to just want to stay home and not engage like out it, in the outside world? It was shortly after that. Um, because like my senior year of high school, like I barely got through, not because of my grades being bad, but because I missed so many days. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, you know, at one point I, I stopped wanting to go to track practice. So um, I kind of lost that too. Uh, and then I did try to go to away to college. And I guess living in the dorms and still struggling with binging was not... <laughs> It, it was not ideal. Um, I had a roommate who, I guess, I don't know. She just, we just didn't get along and she felt the need to expose to the team that I had an eating disorder. And I ended up leaving that school, um, short, like I didn't even last a month there. And then I went home back with my parents and that's when the agoraphobia really like kicked in. And I just didn't want to go out anymore. Oh my God. That's awful for somebody to share that. Yeah. Unfortunately, I dealt with being bullied in elementary school. And for some reason, I thought by the time I got to college, it would be over. (laughs) But apparently, some people don't outgrow being bullies. So when, I mean, just, I don't want to get too much into the weeds with that, but like, was the bullying... Uh, in elementary school anything about like your appearance or body was it like other things as well or just in general I don't think it had anything to do with my body my mom always says it's because I'm easy to cry and that the bullies like to you know pick on somebody who is going to give the reaction they're I guess they're looking for um yeah I was just a I've always been I'm still I'm a sensitive adult so I've always been that way which is a great thing, but I do think that again, that's part of the makeup of people who have eating disorders. You're very empathic and uh, you know sensitive to emotions, and um, 
a lot of times that gets shut down when you're a kid too or used against you and so that's part of I think why it's the setup for having an eating disorder is you just want to you know shut down or just quiet that part of you and um it's a great part of you um, yeah. but I don't know if that was a part that you felt like you needed to kind of just not have out in the open so much right um and I'm so sorry that that happened to you in college um yeah so you end up back home and you're wanting to really isolate and then it seems yeah. like it just got worse right exactly that's when the binging just I think I had gotten a job as a cashier and um it it was basically just like making money to then spend on buying food to binge on and the cycle just really took because you know I was no longer in school and I had all this time um and I was pretty isolated from like friends family I didn't want to go to family gatherings um and then eventually I don't even remember whose suggestion it was to go to a residential treatment center I think I was just desperate thinking like I need something major to you know break me out of this and so you know people maybe ask like there's I do have a podcast that talks about the different levels of care but that's like one of the highest levels of care we actually leave home and you live there um right how long were you in residential for um only for about two months and then I didn't get like discharged because I was fine I got discharged because my insurance said it's time to go (laughs) so that was unfortunate (laughs) That's a whole other issue we can yeah. into. But so did you do you feel like that was too premature for you? Um, definitely. It definitely was. Uh I still stay in touch with some of the people that I, I met at that particular treatment center. We were actually just recently like reminiscing about it though. And it wasn't exactly the greatest uh experience, just because hopefully treatment centers have improved. That was in twenty 10. So yeah, hopefully they've gotten better because I went to one where it was like at a at breakfast, if you wanted a banana, you could only have half of a banana because that's the serving size. And it was just <laughs> it was it was interesting. I think I left there with some new rules and habits that weren't the greatest. So you get discharged, you come home and what happens? Um, I certainly was not in recovery. (laughs) Um, this is where like my twenties get a little blurry just because I feel like a lot happened. Um, cause I did go to like a few other treatment centers, I think at least two other that were residential and then like a couple intensive outpatient programs. Um, I did have two like hospital stays um and then it like yeah tried different therapists I still kept seeing the one that I saw when I was 17 I saw him on and off for like years I don't really know why but um because I don't think he was able to really connect with me in a therapeutic way to be helpful um but yeah when I was 23 that's when I attempted suicide and spent 
a couple, I think I was in the hospital for like two weeks and I was really hoping that was like the, like, this is rock bottom. It can't get it any worse than this. Um, but when I got out, that was when I experienced probably my worst relapse into anorexia. Um, yeah, from there, it was just years of just like relapse thinking I'm in recovery, sort of in recovery. I think even when I was 23, I told people I was in recovery. I even had like a little blog talking about recovery. So <laughs> I had times where I, I think I took the saying, fake it till you make it a little too literal because <laughs> I was really faking it. Um, and it was not getting me to full recovery. You know, I think that's unfortunately very common. Like, and I'm wondering, and, and again, I kind of just want to go back to the, you being in the hospital for, for suicidal attempt. Um, this is something that's very common. And I'm so sorry that you went through that. It sounds like a very dark time. Um, and, you know, we say like, you know, eating disorders are the deadliest mental health illness. This is why it's comorbid with depression and suicide. And, um, you know, this is something I, I don't take lightly. This is one of the reasons why um, I'm so adamant that people do get help and do get treatment because it goes fast when people um, aren't eating and they have comorbid depression. It, um, it does take people's lives. And I'm so grateful to hear you did get help. Um, I know obviously it was a very painful time. Um, and I'm so thank you for sharing that. I know this is not easy. Um, and that could not have been an easy time for you. Um, and I, I think also, you know, hearing you share with people that like you had times when you were binging times where you were purging with exercise times where you were starving yourself and had uh, symptoms of anorexia this I mean this is what happens with the eating disorder it's kind of all over the place right um and I don't know I'm just wondering did you ever get like an actual diagnosis during any of this time that you're talking about of what you actually were struggling with or getting treated for um I think mostly they kept diagnosing me with that eating disorder not otherwise specified just because my behaviors were so all over the place okay so I'm wondering if that too maybe contributed to you kind of feeling like oh I'm in recovery um because maybe there wasn't like some idea in your mind about like what was actually really going on I don't know. right I I think that is spot on because for a while, I felt like as long as I'm not binging, then that's recovery. Mm. So for the longest time, that was like, as long as I'm not binging, I'm in recovery. But I, I knew I was still doing things like, you know, with restricting the, you know, I've, I've used exercise and I don't even know how I managed to do it for as long as I did. And, you know, I think that, that to that point, too, people think, oh, if I'm not engaging in the behaviors, then I don't have my eating disorder anymore. And 
or if I'm eating my meal plan, or if I'm not restricting, or if I'm not over-exercising, then I'm in recovery, or I'm recovered. Um, but there's so much more to it. And maybe you could speak to that too. Like the thoughts, the torture you're going through on the day-to-day basis, the, maybe following the rituals, the routines, like that part must have been so loud and active. And um, that was so under the radar, I'm assuming, even if you weren't engaging in the behaviors. Right. Cause there were times when I think the people around me thought I was doing well and in recovery, but I knew that from the second I woke up, like when my alarm went off, it was like someone set a stopwatch and was like, go, like you have to do like all these, I had like rituals essentially of what I had to do in the day with exercise, with you know, it almost, in a way, OCD, like you need to walk up and down the stairs a certain amount of times. You need to do this, like at this exact same time every day, like to the second I had it. And um, I might've looked like I was really busy and productive, but really I was, you know, anxious and feeling very overwhelmed all the time and still not eating enough, um, still obsessing about food. Um, I think when they, when I learned like how to do a meal plan, I took that and kind of did not use it in a helpful way. I more like obsessively meal planned. And that meal plan was like cement, like it cannot be changed. If someone called me and was like, want to go get dinner? I'd be like, no, in my meal plan, dinner is this. And there was just no flexibility. Um, I put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, accomplish, you know, these, some of the things didn't even really, they weren't going to accomplish anything, but I felt better if I did them. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure people listening out there who are either in the, the throes of it right now or who have been can completely understand um and you know i know it's hard for people who don't have an eating disorder or who never have to understand what that is um and i think that's part of it it's that it's so easy to fake it like you said or to pretend like oh i'm fine because if you don't understand it you don't understand it and so it is yeah. a very isolating and very um secretive illness um, very lonely. And I don't know if that's part of it for you too. Like, did you feel kind of alone in this? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, from, uh, just from when I left high school and didn't continue with college, I really lost touch with most of my friends. I have, I'm lucky to have a few that have stuck through me through everything. So that's, that's been you know, I'm glad I'm not completely alone, <laughs> but um, it does still feel like, you know, because even with my good friends that I do have, I wouldn't even feel comfortable hanging out with them because I knew I was still, you know, in my eating disorder and just uncomfortable being around people or going places. Um, yeah. When you're really focused on your eating disorder, the rest of your life gets very small. 
that you're having to follow your rituals and routines and you have to fit in your exercise, your steps, or, you know, you can't, like you said, there's rigidity with what you can eat and not eat. And if you're going out and being social, that just doesn't, your eating disorder doesn't allow that. Right. So right. you just, yeah, you can't, you can't do it. No. So absolutely. And I think, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast podcast before is like all the things that eating disorder takes from you relationships you know memories all sorts of things and it sounds like for you that definitely was what happened yeah definitely um so you know you're going through all this and like I said I know people out there are listening and going probably shaking their heads like oh gosh yes like um understand completely but I don't know like at the time did you feel like you could talk to anybody um I don't I don't know sometimes I would be open to talking to like my mom or close friends but for the most part a lot of it I kept to myself especially like the details of like the binge eating um you know I think with anorexia it just kind of I don't know if it's easier to talk about, but I know for me, I struggled the most with binge eating and that just had so much like shame attached to it that, you know, I'd be at the grocery store and just like wanting someone to just take my car and be like, why don't you just go home? Like, you don't have to do this anymore. It was almost like I was waiting for someone to give me permission that, like get off the treadmill, get, you know, get out of the grocery store. None of this is necessary, but I don't know. I, I guess in, in the end, I, I had to be the one to get myself to stop. Well, I, I mean, that's, I think that's the hard part, right? You have an illness, um, yeah. right? So, I mean, going from all of that, like, how did you eventually get to like, where you're at now because like people are probably going okay so like yeah how how does that happen right that's the hard part yeah right um I totally get that um I certainly don't want to discourage anyone from going to treatment from you know from my one you know less than ideal experience because honestly I think it took the combination of everything I did I don't think any of it was, you know, a waste. I think all the therapy, all the different interventions I went through, um, I think it eventually did help me. You know, I also listened to a lot of podcasts. (laughs) I definitely was a big podcast listener. I don't know. I found them helpful. Um, And then honestly, now I'm I'm 33 now. So you kind of get to a point where you're really just tired of it (laughs) because basically my whole life my whole over 30 years of my life I felt like I had you know this problem with food um and I think I just really got tired of it and I slowly started making changes um with some help of therapy uh and then I wasn't you know when COVID happened that I wasn't, um, I don't think I did much therapy during that time, but 
COVID actually, as awful as it was, kind of helped me a little bit because um, I had gotten so uncomfortable with food that I didn't like to have like more than a day or two worth of food in the house because I was so scared I would I would binge. And obviously during COVID, you know, stores had like limited hours or closed or, you know, you didn't really want to be going multiple times a week. So I kind of just from that exposed myself to like, here, you're going to have a couple of weeks worth of food in the house. And it actually went well. Um, I think sometimes we underestimate like what we're actually capable of doing. I think I assumed that I would never be able to, you know, have food or certain foods in the house without being, you know, tempted to binge or obsessively think about that food all day. Um, I think just by challenging myself to do those things, um, I got just stronger and, you know, and then slowly started this did not happen overnight <laughs> I don't feel um the way I feel now just like instant it took I want to say a good three three years probably um and it's only been just recent that like I feel the thoughts are gone well and that is so interesting because um you know, during COVID, we saw such an uptick in eating disorders and eating disorder behaviors. And so like for you to say like the opposite happened. So yeah. Um, but I guess you were coming into COVID with the eating disorder, like rampant. So, I mean, right. Right, just used that a different experience, but, um, you know, I often hear that from people, they ask me, you know, patients will say, oh my gosh, like, I can't imagine the eating disorder thoughts going away. And, um, you know, I try to explain it the best I can, but I'm wondering for you, like, was there like a day where you just were like, oh gosh, I call it it. Is it, it's just gone? Or like, what was that experience like where you were like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I want to say in the last year has been when I've like started to let go of all those little lingering bits of the disorder you know I can't even think of a, a good example but just not having any food rules um I don't have any fear foods and I've just consistently have been eating enough and that can really make you feel better if you do it consistently and I think it was I don't even really know what made me like have the aha moment, but it was like an aha moment. I was just like, wow, like, I just like, I don't know. I'm not thinking, I think it was the fact that I don't think about food all day because that's how I used to be like everything, even being in a relationship with somebody, I would be with that person. And like, I would just be so eager to like leave because I would want to go either exercise or buy food. And it's just so like, I can be so much more present when I'm with people now. Like, I'm like, okay, my attention is on like right now we're having this conversation. I am like, there is no thought of like food in my head, like other than like, you know, 
in this conversation talking about it, but it's just, it's very, I don't know. It is hard to explain to someone who's currently dealing with the thoughts because it feels like they will never, ever like go away. Cause I was, I was that person. I would listen to this podcast right now and I'd be like, this girl is full of it. I'm never going to get rid of these thoughts. And it's always going to be this way because that was me for even just two, two, two years ago. I think I was listening to this kind of still abusing exercise, to be honest, like on the elliptical, like really, I hope because hopefully there's not someone doing that too listening to this but if they are I just want to like tell them like you can get off the elliptical I know you want to recover because you're listening to this podcast (laughs) and I just you know I really those are the people I would really want to reach yeah that's I mean that's some (laughs) just something actually I want to ask you so if you were what did you need to hear? I guess back then when you were the person like in the throes of this, like what what would have been the most helpful for you to hear to just maybe turn things around or take a step in the direction toward recovery? Yeah, that I have been thinking ever since we said we were going to have this conversation, I was like, what would I have needed to hear? And like, honestly, I don't know if this would help anyone else, but for me, I felt like I needed someone to give me permission to just stop. Like you, like you don't have to do this. Like ask yourself, what is, what is the end goal of doing this? Because that's what I started asking myself. Like, what am I trying to accomplish? I didn't even have a goal weed anymore. Cause I know for a lot it's to reach some number on the scale. I didn't even have that anymore. So I was like, what am I? It it just started to really feel like a waste of time to, you know, keep giving time into the disorder. Were there things that kept you from like maybe moving in that direction? I know a lot of people say, oh gosh, I'm so scared of like never reaching that goal or I'm so convinced that I can only be happy if I like do reach whatever goals in my mind or like I don't know if there's was anything like that for you that you felt like kept you from fully reaching recovery or even thinking that like those things were actually real yeah I think for me a lot of the eating disorder itself had become so like habitual that I didn't know what life was going to look like without it. Um, Cause I didn't, it wasn't like I had a childhood I could go back to and be like, Oh, remember when I was that kid and didn't care about what people thought of what I ate. I never had that to go back to, which in a way, I guess took the pressure of what my recovery could look like. Cause it's just what it is now. <laughs> um, I wasn't trying to go back to anything. Um, but I think I was like, I'll be honest, like the body changes definitely made me nervous because that's something that people talk about in recovery. Like a lot of times it involves your weight changing. And I grew up in a family where weight is definitely talked about. Um, You know, it's very common that if we, you know, someone in the family sees somebody they haven't seen in a while, they will comment on their weight. So I think that's why I started to avoid um, 
family gatherings just because I did not want the weight comments. Um, so I think that made me nervous. Um, but now, to be honest, I feel, I don't, I'm not going to say I feel like 100% comfortable in my body, but I actually feel more comfortable in it than I did when I had the eating disorder. So <laughs> definitely on the, you know, improvement. Well, and I don't know if that's partially because when you were in the eating disorder, you were so hyper fixated on body checking and like mm-hmm. so fixated on like, and like making you more hyper vigilant about every part of your body. I don't know if that went away. Yeah, no, I, I really try to be mindful of stuff like that because I know I ha- I think it was on one of your podcasts talking about how subtle some of our body checking can be. It can just be like, you know, and I, I think I'm kind of in a place now where I'm like, what is just a quirk of mine that I do? And what is like the leftover of the disorder? It's kind of trying to figure out, you know, what is just Lauren (laughs) and just making sure that nothing disordered has kind of stuck around. Those are, I mean, it's good you're asking yourself these things. Like, yeah. (laughs) um, Because I think people do wonder, like, am I fully recovered? Is it coming back? Um, You know, and I, you know, anyone listening, I think that's that's normal. Um, It's hard to trust that you know, am I going to relapse? Is this for real? Um, and I think, I don't know, for you, I just want to give you that um, continual hope and just having that continual self-compassion. And, um, you know, I don't know if you still have fears like, oh my gosh, is this permanent? Is it going to come back? I don't know if that's in your mind at all. Um, I think because I haven't engaged in binge eating and probably over three, maybe four years. I used to count the days. I was obsessive. I counted it like I was counting hours, but now I can't even tell you. I, I'm assuming it's probably close to four years. And for the first two years, I was convinced any day now I'm gonna, you know, I lived in fear of relapsing. And now when it comes to that, I have no like I, 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 well, physically, I don't think I'm capable of doing that type of behavior anymore. Just, I, I just don't, I don't know how I, I did it back then. Um, and as far as like restricting that, I think that, that one, for some reason is probably easier to creep back in. It's something I'm always like, did I eat enough? But I like recently like had a meal and I was like, I don't think that was enough and like ate more. So like, I'm able to, um, be more aware. I think that, that one, I still maybe have like a little fear that like, oh, you know, cause I do tend to get, um, you know, uh, just, I don't know, something with that, that I, I just would be more fearful of that one. But right now I feel pretty confident <laughs> though. <laughs> Just because I don't want to give up the feeling I have right now where I feel like, I don't know, more energy, <laughs> just less, I think so far, I know I've said it a few times, is just having a more clear head, you know, 
not feeling I need to plan every morsel of food I'm going to eat. Like, I don't even know what I'm going to have for dinner tomorrow. Like, we'll figure it out tomorrow. I have food in the fridge. There's stuff to throw together. <laughs> it will be fine. But like, I no longer, like, that was unheard of. So like, not like, obviously, sometimes you have to plan ahead because you got to take something out of the freezer. But it's just so nice to know that I just have more flexibility. And I even see it, like, carrying over to other areas, like beyond food, just, you know, being able to make plans with, you know, there was a time I would not have kept this plan to have this conversation because I would have to know that I need to go exercise. I, I can't do that. So, you know, it's just, it's nice to feel like I can, I don't know, I kind of feel like I'm past the storm of like the eating disorders over. And now I'm kind of you know, ready to actually like have a life. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird phase to be in, to be honest, just because you're like, wow, I like wasted all that time. Like, you know, it was a, my 20s, they're gone. So I can't really like, you know, it is what it is. Um, But now I'm just glad, like, I have the rest of this time to actually do stuff that's more meaningful no and that's absolutely right um you know congratulations for reaching this place and um i like i said i know people listening can totally relate with things you're saying they're probably having little light bulb moments of like oh yeah i do that too i cancel plans or i revolve my life around like what i'm gonna eat or exercise or i mean all of that so if anyone's listening and wondering like do i have an eating disorder or disordered eating, like any of these behaviors or things that Lauren's sharing, like, yes, yes, and yes. And the sooner you get treatment, the faster you will get back to having a life. If yeah. you had one before, the hopefully the sooner you can get to having it out of your life and moving on. And um, maybe I should ask you, like, what is, what's, what's on the horizon for you? What are you getting excited about now that yeah. it's gone? <laughs> um right now like I just feel like I have a lot of options um I didn't ne I never thought I was going to get to this point in life so it's kind of like what do I do now um uh, but I'm actually hoping to this I did end up graduating college I have my bachelor's in social work but I'm hoping to take a course this fall to, in order to be licensed, to be a peer recovery support specialist. And I want to work with people who, you know, are trying to recover from all, not just eating disorders, but recovery in general from, you know, substance abuse and other things. That's great. You will be able to relate for sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. I feel like I need to, I do not want the last uh, there, you know, I don't want that all to be for nothing. I, I would like to, if I can use it to help someone else, I, that would be, that would, I don't know if it was worth it, but uh, maybe it will. Yeah. Well, it's an inspiring story for sure. And like I said, part of the reason I did this podcast was to have, you know, people like you come on and share their stories if they were willing and able to be vulnerable enough. Um, because like I said, when I was going through this, well, 
first of all, social media podcasts were not a thing I'm back in aging myself now, but it would have been really helpful, I think, to hear somebody like you opening up and sharing, um, just to feel like you're not alone in this. These are some of the most uh, solitary, isolating illnesses. And um, the the worst thing that can happen, I think, is losing hope. Um, yeah. Feeling like you're not ever going to get out of this or that you can get better, especially when it gets very hard in treatment. Um, this is the worst times and hearing a story like yours hopefully can help people pull through and keep going. So thank you so much for sharing all (laughs) of this. Um, Any last final words before we end? Um, I guess just, you know, again, to that person who maybe is wanting to roll their eyes or think that, you know, it's not going to work for them or it'll never happen. Honestly, I think it could happen for anybody. It took me you know, pretty much my whole life to get here. So like, if the time is discouraging you, just, you know, keep going. I really think anyone can, you know, recover fully. Um, It doesn't have to be the way it is right now. And, you know, if anyone ever needs to talk as just, you know, my DMs are always open. (laughs) And so I hope you like pictures of cats. That's all there is on Instagram. <laughs> oh, well, that's very generous of you. Like, how can people DM you? How can they find you? Um, just on Instagram. I'm not really, I don't really post much other than you'll see. So there's cat pictures. So if you want like uh, a cleanser from all the stuff in social media, there's just me <laughs> and my cats. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my uh handle on there is just lore.n.rome. Awesome. We will have that in the show notes for you all. Great. (laughs) Lauren, thank you so, so much. So inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.